and welcome to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and joined by two guests today. Uh, first, you know him, you love him, Chad. And Chad, yeah, brother. <laughs> and Chad, why don't you uh, introduce your friend there? All right, I got sitting next to me tonight. It's uh, he, he's a man known for crushing heads, Lou. Hi, Lou. I don't know how to respond to that. Well, <laughs> I really, since, really don't. You know, since you guys are on a webcam right now and I can actually see you, you could try crushing Chad's head. There is not enough strength in, I don't think, all four of my limbs to be able to do that, Melon. <laughs> and besides, if he breaks it, he has to clean it. Oh, yeah. And some of you, if you've uh, listened to whose podcast is it anyway, uh, you might remember Lou was actually in episode number two where you guys talked about ice cream. Ice cream. Yep. So I'm one of those people, though. I personally don't have a real preference for it. Some stuff I like better hard packed. Some stuff I like better soft serve. But that's just my two cents. But let's jump right into today's topic. And going to be talking about professional wrestling. And specifically going to be focusing on what, at least in my opinion, and I, I don't know if you guys are of the same opinion, but the glory years of it. And. I suppose, depending on when you got into it, it's going to kind of, that is probably is going to determine what you consider the glory years. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's actually, that was the first thing on my mind is when did everybody get into it? Because I was really young. My grandparents loved wrestling and we spent a lot of weekends at grandma and grandpa's house. And I must've been four or five. So like 80, 81, was the first time I can remember watching wrestling, which is not what wrestling is today or even what it was in the 80s and 90s. Um, it was it was straight up old school, you know, wrestling. You had people and, like uh, Duck Russia, you know, the wrestler who made Milwaukee famous. Right, exactly. I mean, it was it was it was still territorial. So in my area of the world, it was N NWA, you know, and, and things like that. So I don't know, Lou. What about you? Um. Mine actually is kind of similar. It was a family thing because my my parents and my cousin's parents would get together at Tanglewood Lanes. And for those of you who remember that wonderful place. And every Friday evening, they would do bowling, um, they would do their bowling league, and we would get dropped off. And that would be our Friday night thing is that we'd go over by the cousin's house. We would watch, and if we weren't being supervised, act out the wrestling <laughs> and hopefully not break anything because of course they had all kinds of kitschy stuff all over. Um, and that was my first really exposure to it. So at what age though? Oh gosh. I, I probably would say probably about the same area as your, yourself was okay. Um, as you would be, I should say um, relatively younger, but you know, still fascinated with these people just beating the heck out of each other. And it was so just fun. Right. Lou, did you say kitschy? I did indeed. You are the second person I've heard who've actually used that phrase. Um, the other one, some of you might remember uh, f- several episodes ago, my friend Dawn and I did an episode, uh, The Joker is Wild, where we talked about uh, the evolution of the Joker. And she used the word kitschy in that one. So I guess those are the, like the little crafty knickknack type things. It is. Um, uh, tchotchkes would be another way to put it, I okay. suppose. So in all your episodes, Al, you've only had people say kitschy twice, and they've been within a few episodes of each other. That is true. <laughs> Interesting. 
a good myth, a good uh, Midwestern term, I understand. But yeah, and for me, it's kind of in the same time period where I got into it in the early 80s. I'm wanting to say around maybe fourth grade or so. Uh, I would hear kids talk about it in school, but I remember we were staying at a hotel when I was visiting my cousin one time, and they had like HBO. And just to kind of date myself, I remember we were watching WrestleMania 2. Because um, I, I remember some of the, because I recognize some of the characters like, you know, Hillbilly Jim and Junkyard Dog, and of course, Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy. The match main matches I remember from that were uh, the Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy in the cage, and there was the big battle royal, um, and there was I think another one with like Tito Santana. But those are the main ones I remember. Um, did you either of you guys ever watch uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling when you were Every younger? Saturday morning. Every Saturday morning, like clockwork, I, man. I, I still I wrote watch that it on down. YouTube. I still watch it on YouTube. I wrote that down. I was going through and I was writing down the names of some of the people that, that um, you know, really struck a chord with me. Guys I really like to watch during the time that I watched wrestling. And I'm like, at the top of the page, I wrote WWF Saturday Morning Cartoon. Because I couldn't remember what it was called. Yep. yep. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. And what, the thing I loved about that was, is if you watched uh, Superstars or Saturday Night or any of the shows... It kind of they they wrote the cartoon to kind of go with that. So if all of a sudden Hulk Hogan and Macho Man were feuding, Macho Man would go to the bad guy's side, you know. Or sure, was Macho yeah, Man was, on that show? I don't think he was, but you know whoever uh, it was, Roddy, Roddy Piper was like the main bad yep. one, and that yeah, and I he kind of jumped back and forth. So kind of just like real life then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, for, uh, Captain Lou was it for me. I mean, for obvious reasons. And uh, what what reasons would those be, Al? Uh, Lou. <laughs> well, let's see here. Um, the name for starters and the appearance-wise, I mean, because we both have nice, awesome goatees. And you both have great shirts. <laughs> That's This is a possibility true as well. But, yeah, it was it was that. And, I mean, him being – I'm sorry. The last one I just watched recently was him being overweight and just basically eating sandwiches like Scooby-Doo did. <laughs> and it was, it was hilarious. It really was. And I just remember going back to that time as a kid that – this was kind of the best of all worlds. It was a cartoon, but it was also wrestling. It was great. Yeah, And I mean, really professional wrestling really, I think hit the mainstream back then because not only did you have like Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, but you also had, you know, the LG, I think LGN made the, the wrestling toys. Remember the thumb wrestlers? Yep. Yep. And, and um, Hogan started doing movies. Yeah. Um, the, I remember no holds barred. Well, I think that was, that was late eighties, I think. Uh, but, what else was it? Because I yeah I know Hulk Hulk was in a bunch of movies. Suburban Commando. Yep, Suburban Commando. Um, one of the one of the oh, uh, Mr. Nanny. Mr. Nanny. Spy Hard. That was one I another one I remember, but I think that was more early '90s. So I think yeah, during the '80s, this is where wrestling really moved into the mainstream. Um, then again, since well, I think uh, Lou, you're probably about the same age as Chad and I, right? I would guess. Yeah, I think I'm I'm almost exactly a year younger than Chad. Yeah, okay, so, and Al and I are the same age within a couple months. Yeah, so we're not I, – I mean, so all of us were born in like around the mid-70s, so maybe it was a little bit – I mean, I'm not really sure about the state of it before. I was hatched. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, usually around grade school, and I think all three of us were in the same situation where we got into it, 
we got out of it for a bit. And then how did you get back into wrestling? I, well, I got out of wrestling because, you know, the weekend trips to grandma and grandpa's went away and wrestling for a long time for, for, I wouldn't say a long time, but for probably five, six, seven years, unless you watched it Sunday night, it kind of fell off the face of the world. It just kind of went away. And then it started coming back. And then about the time I got married, so 96 or so, um, you know, flipping through the channels one night and I'm like, WCW. Now I was a WCW guy. So I know there's, there's different sides on that too, but, um, I was, a you know, and I was flipping through in WCW and, um, I watched a little bit and I'm like, I used to watch this as a kid and I started watching it and the storylines were, they were more developed than they used to be. And the, you know, it wasn't, it was no longer just inside of a ring. I mean, they were going up on the ropes. They were throwing people through the ropes. They, you know, they were punching people with a closed fist, you know, all these things. And I was just like, I was like, wow, you know? And um, I think 97 was really about the start of the Monday night wars too. Maybe a little later than that, maybe 98, but I, I really got into it. And then there was this other one, you know, WWE, they were, or WWF at the time, actually. Yeah. They, they were on the other station, you know, at the same time. And, and I had cable at the time. So I'd flip back and forth and I'd watch both of them. And I just personally thought WCW had a, a better product. Um, maybe it was because of the wrestlers. There were certain wrestlers like Sting, um, you know, and especially, um, the, uh, the, the Walter Waits, the, um, Oh, like, uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. Yeah, like Eddie Mysterio, Guerrero, Billy Kidman, Disco Inferno, all these, you know, these lightweights, uh, what do they call them? The, uh, the cruiserweights. cruiserweights and the cruiserweights, man, I watched these guys flipping around that ring and I'm like, just awestruck. And I think that was, that was one of the big tipping points for me as a fan going, okay, WCW has this. WWF does not. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I did like about WCW over WWF. And we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. The Monday Night Wars is definitely one of the topics I want to touch on later. But, yeah, and I, I remember during the Luchador matches they had uh, Mike Tanay, who, oh, yeah. you know, he would also give his commentary because he, I mean, I don't know if in real life if he's like this real expert or if it was just part of his his personality and, you know, for the wrestling show where he would often talk about like some of the cultural aspects of like the masks and mm-hmm. some of the other things. And uh, just kind of, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you where I got back into it around the late, mid, late nineties because of my college roommate. So what about you, Lou? Did you drop out of wrestling for a bit and then eventually get back into it? Well, for me, it was a dropout for a couple of reasons. First of all, was of course, I mean, I'm gonna. It's the same as with Chad, you know, not visiting basically the people who watch it anymore. And my family wasn't exactly a wrestling style family, so I mean, it was one of those things where we had better things to watch, other things to watch, and I really didn't get two cents worth, so I didn't watch it, and that just kind of fell apart. Um, I do remember in grade school, I had a friend who had the WWF magazine subscription, and he kind of fed my little my little need to see that kind of stuff, even though I didn't watch the show. Um, Plus in the late eighties and early nineties, there was a bit of a stigma attached to it too. I mean, it was where, you know, you like wrestling, you're a dork type thing. And it's just like, 
it, it got really unpopular for a little while where you almost had to become a closet person to watch it. Like being a gamer in the 80s. It, to yeah. a degree, right. And, you know, and actually one thing I was about to think, I was thinking about this before we were recording, you know, you might wonder, well, why are we talking about wrestling on a show about that I usually focus on gaming? And now I know there were, I've seen a, the occasional attempt to make a pro wrestling, a role-playing game. There was a WWF one. And I know there was another one I've, a couple others I've seen. But if you think about it, professional wrestling is kind of like live action role playing in a way. You know, these guys, they, uh, you know, they get dressed in these goofy costumes. They're not trying to hurt each other, but the element of, you know, risk is always there. But also they create these personalities for themselves. And, you know, because occasionally you'll hear about people that in the ring, you know, they act all mean and scary, but, you know, outside of the ring, there's some of the nicest people you could ever meet. Well, I, I suppose that goes with any job. I mean, I've had bosses that were real dinks at work, <laughs> and then you see them out in the real world, and it's like, who is this guy? You know, but as far as that goes, I don't know. I think there's got to be a certain, for a character to work, there has to be a certain element of that person in the character. Because the characters that come in and fall apart are the guys who are nothing like their character. Um, that's just a personal, you know, um, personal thought on that. I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know if if that's necessarily true, but I don't know. I just. I just have that feeling like there's got to be something. Like the Undertaker has been a character for twenty plus years, and I mean. A lot of people know that outside the ring, he's this big motorcycle guy. He's, you know, he's Supposedly, a, he's a really good singer, too. Oh, I, I hadn't heard that, but I do know he was, um, he's in the buying and selling real estate. He's big into real estate, yeah. So, you know, but the Undertaker character, so I look at it and I go, okay, there must be something. He must like something that, you know, it has that feel like, you know, he's full of tattoos. Yeah. He's, um... He's a big MMA guy, too. Yeah, he's a big martial, uh, mixed martial eye guy, art guy. And he just, you know, there's something there's something that when I look at the Undertaker character, I think, okay, maybe he's not a gamer, but maybe he's into, like, you know, really dark music or really, you know, things like that. Something that meshes with him and his character in the real life, you know? So I, I don't know if that's true, but that's just the way I look at it. You know, yeah. John Cena... Um, I know we're talking current wrestlers right now, but John Cena, when he came out, he was this big, you know, thugonomics guy. He was in, he was, you know, he had the chains and the the whole work. And and that character didn't last long because I don't think a white kid from Connecticut's really into, <laughs> you know, rap yeah. music. And I was actually reading an article a while ago. Um, apparently you, you wouldn't guess it, especially with his early in-ring persona, but he's actually, I guess he's worked with like, you know, the Make-A-Wish Foundation and he's he's actually, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and he actually has granted the most wishes of anybody ever in the history of that program. Yep. That's what I've heard. So supposedly, even though, yeah, he, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I haven't, like I said, I haven't watched wrestling in a long time. I got out Mm -hmm. of it like around 2001 or so. Um, so right at the end of the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, so I think, because isn't he a good guy wrestler now? For the most part, he's always been a baby face. Yeah. 
So, like, even as a villain, he still was kind of likable. Yeah, I could, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean, because it's really been... And when you say a villain, I mean, he is by he's far from being any of the classic or true villains out there. I mean, he might have went slightly, slightly bad, but he didn't go totally B.A. Yeah. Yeah, his, his, his heel turn was like, oops, I turned it 10 degrees. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe he would, you know, for a small time, there was a there was a short period where he would use actually use his chain to do the finish. You know, he'd, he'd wrap his fist in the chain and punch somebody. But that's about as bad as he got. Right. Yeah, and, uh, ju- um, and when you are talking about villains, did you ever see the uh, – the documentary on Bret Hart wrestling with shadows. It was, it was made in like the late nineties, you know, just, it was shortly after he had, or it was around the time of the Montreal screw job where, and I, I don't know what the final verdict on this, but um, Bret Hart was, I guess the original storyline is that, well, well in real life, you know, Brett wanted to leave the WWF and he was going to go over to WCW. Because they offered him a lot more money. Yep. And supposedly what was going to happen is that um, they were going to let Bret Hart retire the Hitman character honorably, but then they had that, um, you know, they had that, the screw job loss where they gave the title to Shawn Michaels. And I remember one of the things, one of the more lighthearted moments of that documentary, you know, Bret Hart said that in in wrestling, part of being a good, good guy is having a good bad guy to work with. And he talked about some of his favorites like Vader and, you know, like Mankind, for example. So um, that also reminds me of their documentary. And this probably should have mentioned this a little earlier, but we got off track. That that happens a lot in my show. So... (laughs) But there's a couple of things that made me want to touch this topic. And one of them was another documentary I saw called The Resurrect... It was like The Destruction and Rebirth nope. of Jake the Snake Roberts. Nope. The Resurrection of Jake Roberts. Jake the Snake Roberts. I just finished watching it half hour ago. Yeah. And another thing is I thought about it. You know, there's actually been... I, I mean, a lot of the wrestlers we remember as kids you know, they're starting to get old and there's actually some big names that have died in the last few years. Like, oh, yeah. just, you know, um, unfortunately we can, we have to say that the American dream is dead as Dusty Rhodes did die last year. Um, I mean, this year China died. I'm trying to think of some of the others. Um, well, Randy, uh, Macho Man Savage within the last few years, few years, yeah. Nick Bockwinkle, Vern Roddy Ganya. Piper. Yeah. Roddy Piper passed away last year. Yeah. Um, didn't Kurt Hennig die not too long ago yep. as well? well Mr. Uh, Mr. Oh, Perfect. Mr. Perfect. That's right. Passed yeah. away. Um, Ravishing Rick Rude passed away not too long ago. Yeah, and Junkyard oh, Dog, oh, I know, I died not oh, too long Right after WrestleMania 30. Right, right. And in fact, it was just after he was inducted, wasn't it? It was WrestleMania 30. He did Monday Night Raw, walked out of the building, had a heart attack, and died in the parking lot. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of sad. And, you know, that's one of the things that made me want to talk about it is, um, cause yeah, you've got these, these, some of these guys we looked up to as heroes back when we were kids, um, right. you know, before we realized, you know, pro wrestling is fake and that they're not actually trying to hurt each other. Well, stop. Let's, let's pause for a second. There are certain times that they did want to beat the crap out of each other legitimately. Yes, so, that is true. Yeah, there, there are shoot matches, but can we change our terminology? This is Stiff. one thing that bugs me about wrestling. 
I, I, I guess I'm going to agree with that one. Fake, maybe not so, maybe um, choreographed. Yeah. Fab. Scripted. Scripted. Yeah. That's, that's a good because one. Because I always look at it this way, and people go, oh, wrestling's fake. And I go, no. I say wrestling is scripted. I will give you that. They know who's going to win before they start. But let me crawl up 10 feet on a, on a, on a turnbuckle, jump down, and land on you. It doesn't matter if I know how to land on you and you know how to get landed on. There is still reality there. Yes. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, especially when we were talking about the luchadors before. I mean, it, I, you know, you look at some of the stuff like Rey Mysterio used to do, you know, jumping on the ropes and doing all these flips and stuff. That yep. does take a certain degree of athletic ability. And absolutely. These guys are definitely athletes. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, and you, you do have some people who the, the in ring term, I guess, is legit, where they have some legitimate skill outside of the ring, like one guy that always comes to mind, uh, Mark Merrill. Uh, he, you know, for his gimmick, you know, he did the whole boxer thing where he came to, mm-hmm. to the ring in his boxing robe and shorts, and he had this oh, fist tape up. Winner? Pardon? I think he was a Golden Glove yes, winner. he was. You're right. And there, he wasn't acting in when he was doing that stuff because, yeah, he is legitimately a boxing champion. And again, when Ken Shamrock... Uh, made a foray into wrestling for a little bit. Again, legitimate. Shamrock, uh, Blackman a little bit. Yeah, Blackman. Steve uh, Blackman. Kurt, Angle. Kurt Angle was an Olympic gold medalist. That's not just a gimmick. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, what's his name now? Um, well, that's helpful. The big guy. The big guy. Uh, big Brock Lesnar. Oh, Brock Lesnar. MMA. Well, yeah. Done. Finger quotes. <laughs> just like he didn't, he, just he didn't like, do just, well. Just like he played football for the Vikings. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> so yeah, but so yeah, there are. So, and I agree with you one hundred percent on that, Chad. Where yeah, I think scripted is a better term. And as Bret Hart did say in that documentary, sometimes it can be very real. Because I, I, as you mentioned before, Lou, sometimes yeah, there are people they do want to beat the crap out of each other. And the the kayfabe term is stiff, where if someone like throws a punch and it actually hits or does something that actually hurts you, it's considered stiff. And while it certainly can be on accident, it's and sure there's probably been a few times where it's been intentional. Yeah, but, and, and and the other thing wrestlers will do. I was just watching a uh, a documentary, and I can't remember the name of it. But other things wrestlers will do is they will. And instead of uh, selling a shot to make the other guy look bad when they get pissed off at somebody, is they will just not sell. Yep, no yep. sell or overselling. Like uh, Ric Flair used to do that a lot, where if someone like punches him and he'd go flying back like, you know, 10 yep. feet, or Flair, I think yeah. The Rock would sometimes oversell. But Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I the flare flop is one of my favorite things of all time in wrestling. Because yep. you can watch it coming, and for all the years I've been watching wrestling, it's like here it comes, here it comes, and there it is. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the jobbers are good for that though too. I yeah, because they're they're just trying to get their, for lack of a better way to put their acting skills, and some of the the flops or just some of the overselling is it's ridiculous, but at the same time it's hilarious. Yeah, and that's. Part of, you know, getting back to, you know, the original earlier dates, that's another part that drew me into it was the fact that it was so over-dramatized. I mean, it's, it was essentially my soap opera where they're beating the heck out of each other. My wife will still do that. I'll sit down. She's like, what are you going to watch? I'm like, wrestling. Oh, your soap opera's coming on. I'm like, 
Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you're not the first person to compare it to a soap opera, uh, one of my friends, um, Dan from the Radio Free Borderlands podcast, he actually, we were talking many, many years ago, and he was saying, yeah, it's it's soap opera for guys. And again, because I do sometimes have these real intricate storylines, sometimes that take like, you know, months to play out. And sometimes so, they, 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 they over figure these plot lines and you're sitting there going, what the, what is going on? You know? And then they just disappear. They just like, they act like it never yes. happened. Yes. Yep. Some of the, there's some of those are like my favorite ones. Like it, this would have been, I think the early two thousands was some of the undertaker darkness stuff where they were realizing it just was not working. So they yeah. just kind of totally turned it on its head and be like, we're back. Well, wait, what? Oh, the ministry of darkness yep, thing. The ministry of darkness. Yeah, as much as I loved that Undertaker look. Oh, yeah. The look was totally it's bad. Kind of totally tight. Yeah, but the storyline was just like, you just kind of scratch your head going, what the hell? Yeah. You kind of want to wish you were a fly on the wall of that meeting where they said, hey, let's take the Undertaker and let's bring him back to his supernatural roots and, uh, you know, do this whole corny dark magic angle. So... Because now was that before or after his American badass phase? That was before. Way before. It was before. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. as I said, since I stopped, actually, I want to say August of '97, if I remember correctly. Well, it was. It it followed closely on the heels of the Columbine shooting. Okay. And what they did is because you know he always came out in the long black trench coats, and this was Vince McMahon actually trying to be sensitive to America. And everybody, and it wasn't just The Undertaker, but if you looked at all the guys that came out in trench coats, the Nasty Boys, all those guys, they lost them for a while. Oh, yeah. That's where the American badass came then, from. I want to say, if I remember correctly, and one of you two can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong on this one, I believe it was Judgment Day that he came out, and it, it was, he was gone because, of, I think, of a neck injury for a while. And that's when his big return was. And he just, I think The Rock was getting just destroyed by the corporate machine or whatever. Right. And he just came out and just killed everyone and it was just the return of the undertaker and that that was um, you that was one of my favorite memories of of the newer generation yeah yeah i've always been i'm a, I'm a huge mark for the undertaker always have been that was the one thing that kept me going back to wwf you know as kind of a as a side glance thing was maybe takers wrestling and you know i have to say of all the another thing that was really integral in professional wrestling and when you said the undertaker that's what brought brought this to mind ring entrance music and because i remember they used to have their i used to have it the vinyl album where they had like the wrestlers doing a land of a thousand dances and they had like all these other songs that they were doing on there um i think that's called it wwf the music or the volume i know and they've also reached other released other cds that had the ring entrance music, but the undertaker. Um, and of course, going back to the eighties, you know, Hulk Hogan, he had his original theme and then he used the, I am a real American. And, and actually one thing that's interesting, you know, who act, um, composed several of the ring entrance music themes, Jimmy, the mouth of the South heart. Really? I, yeah. I, I've looked at the inner, the, the CD liners actually, cause I've got a few of those discs and that I'll, I'll agree with you all on this one. I was very surprised. I was just like, really, this, really, this guy? It was very surprising. I mean, because all you think of just that real loudmouth uh, dude with like the the, 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 mega way, the lips and the megaphone and yeah, it, it would it wouldn't surprise it would surprise me more only if Bobby the Brain Heenan would have had a CD out. 
Yeah. <laughs> or, or Mean Gene. Mean Gene. Oh, man. Now, now Mean Gene, that's a voice. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I I miss that voice. You know, the, the guys out there now, Michael Cole, those guys, they do a great job. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But, you know, that was the voice I grew up on was Mean Gene Okerlund. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, man, that's a voice. Yeah, and I think, didn't he appear in that Jake Roberts documentary? He did. Yeah, he did. I heard that voice, and I, I happened to not be looking right at the TV when he, when they started talking. And I heard that voice, and I was like, Sweet Gene! Yeah, it was just like my head snapped to the TV, and I'm like, oh, my God, Okerlund's old. But yeah. it's that voice. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things when I was watching that, and again, it's still on Netflix, so if you want to, if anyone wants to try to catch it, um, you know, because, and this is one of the things that made me think about this topic is Jake the Snake was one of those guys that I really liked when I was a kid because I thought it was so awesome how he would take his big snake out and such. But, um, you know, it's like. And we saw in that in that movie, crazy. we saw in that movie too that he took his other snake out a few times too. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, because he had gotten like out of shape and old. Well, of course he gets old. Everyone gets old. But, you but know, he, he was living in this like, you know, small little house and. The and I I remember they saw Scott Hall when yep. I mean he was another one of my favorites. I primarily followed him and I mean I liked him best when he was in AWA, which we'll you know I'll get into later. But um, yeah, because he was like in a wheelchair. And the thing that surprised me about that documentary is they were talking about Diamond Dallas Page, how he got into he developed this yoga fitness program and. You know, the the episode talked about how DDP was helping, you know, not just Jake Roberts, but, uh, you know, some of the other old wrestling friends he knew who had gotten out of shape. Uh, he was helping them get back into shape with this this yoga program. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, in fact, um, I, I've looked into DDP yoga and I can't seem to find anywhere to order it. You have to, like, go to a go to a gym that has it and there's there's none around here, but. Um, it's like, um, Chris Jericho is like one of his spokesmen. Um, Jericho uses it constantly, um, because he's got a bad back and to keep everything at bay. So he can still, I mean, he's only a part-time wrestler at this point, but to keep himself in shape, he does, he does the, the DDP yoga. Okay. Yeah. And well, going back to the eighties and I know, see back then the, I believe the three main federations back then were WWF, WCCW, and um, the NWA, where, as you mentioned before, there was a lot of regional ones. And the one that I grew up the most on before I got into WWF was AWA. Um, Either of you guys watched AWA or was that not really on your radar? I may have caught it, but I probably wouldn't remember. It didn't really strike as much of a memory for me as the big stuff, as it were. Yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. For me, AWA was one of those things I've watched in recent years. Like, YouTube's wonderful. You're like, oh, do you remember that match? Click, 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 click. Oh, there it goes. But I've seen AWA through that. But no, it wasn't anything that either my family didn't watch it or it wasn't in the area or, you know, whatever. Yeah, because he, the thing about AWA, there's a lot of big names that spent an early part of their career there. Hulk Hogan was there. Um, Jimmy Hart was there. Sergeant Slaughter. Shawn Michaels. 
Um, he was one of my one of my favorite tag teams back then. Was was the Midnight Rockers? Oh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, see, trying to think. I think the Road Warriors spent some time there. Uh, Kurt Hennig. So the yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of oh, Jimmy Superfly Snooka. Uh, he was one of them that was in there as well. So there were a lot of like I said real big names that either got their start there or spent the early part of their career there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I remember most about AWA, they tried to keep it more real. Their storylines generally weren't as over the top as the WWF's was. And I I remember they kind of called out the WWF on one episode. Because do you remember how... Back in the WWF, you know, you had Jake the Snake bringing his snake. Coco mm-hmm. Beware had his parrot. Yep. Um, the British Bulldogs, they had their bulldog. Matilda. Yep. I <laughs> liked the Matilda. I liked the British Bulldogs. They were, um, you know, I, I I just thought they were one of the more uh, exciting teams to watch back then because yep. there's like Davy Boy Smith, he was more of the powerhouse, and Dynamite Kid, who was more you know, the more fast, quick ones. So I always thought, I always loved it when they wrestled. They were one of my favorite tag teams. But one of the interviewers there was talking about how, you know, you don't need snakes and dogs and birds to wrestle. And it's like, okay, what federation was he calling out there? Right, yeah. (laughs) But then again, okay, AWA versus WWF, who's still around today? Well, well, AWA is probably still around. A lot of these regional places have become, um, you know, they're they're not large like the WWE, obviously, but they are still there. They're used a lot, like uh, o- uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling. Oh yeah, is a uh, it's still a territory, and they use it for developmental. Yeah. You know, kind of like playing a farm league almost. Yeah, and a lot of and that's what happened to a lot of these smaller. Things because the NWA is still around, I believe. Um, the WCCW became the WCW. Yep. So they they went away, but a lot of these, especially down south, uh, Memphis wrestling is still around. Um, uh, Georgia, uh, what's it called? GWCA, Georgia Wrestling Championship Association, or whatever they call themselves, they're still around. Yeah. because so, actually, I think AWA. They did try to make a comeback, but unfortunately, I guess they, well, I've got the internets. Um, I think that they, I know they did try to make a comeback, but I'm pretty sure that they, they just couldn't, they just couldn't attract the fan base and they couldn't attract the talent. So, um, yeah, unfortunately they. It all comes down to that mighty dollar. Yeah, exactly. And so did either of you guys ever go to uh, any of the live wrestling matches when you were a kid's? Yes. Same here. As a kid, not so much. As I got a little bit older, and you and I talked about this before we started, um, I did get to go to tapings, Raw and Sunday Night Heat. And it's it's just like anything live, though. It's always going to be more exciting live than it is to watch on TV. I mean, as much fun as it is to watch Thursday night for SmackDown or Monday Night Raw or WCW when it was back on, I mean, going and being there with the crowd and everything else, it's just an electricity that you just can't get it beyond. Yeah, and I've been to several live episodes. Um, I have been, I was to, uh, I want to say, two tapings of WCW Nitro. Um, I've done a Raw. I've done two SmackDowns. I did a Judgment Day. 
I think that's it. So like six or seven. Um, I tried to get tickets to WrestleMania when it was in Chicago, and I was online, all ready to go. They went on sale, and they were sold out. <laughs> yeah, because I was at a taping of Raw once, but other than that, most of the live shows I went to when I was a kid, most of them were AWA. I did go to a couple of WWFs, and the first time that – I think it was the first time that NWA came to Wisconsin, I was there because I remember the main event was – and one of the things you got to love about wrestling is how they have these special gimmicky matches. And this one, they, it, I think they called it War Games, the one where they had the two, steel, two rings with the steel cage. Oh, yeah, WCW War Games. Yep, so it was the Four Horsemen versus, I, ugh, I wanted to say Dusty Rhodes was probably one of the other people because I think he was feuding with them at the time. Okay. But that was one of the one the main things that I remember. And one of the things that oh and by the way I did look on the internet while you were talking. Yeah, the uh the AWA did I guess they did try to come back, but unfortunately, yeah, they they just never could get it and it uh okay. like cuz Vern Gagne, I guess he made some financial dis- mistakes that kind of prevented him from really uh bringing the, you know, the the federation back. Oh, okay. But, you know, and what's one of the biggest differences or things that you can remember when we transition from the 80s wrestling to the to 90s wrestling? Oh, just the amount of excitement. I mean, 80s wrestling for what it was, and it and it slowly made that build through the 80s to where you had you started to have music and you started to have, you know, really active um, matches versus the old, you know, punching stuff, as I like to call them. Um, you know, it, it worked into that, to, to, you know, that wrestling entertainment versus wrestling. Yeah. You know, and now they don't even call it wrestling entertainment anymore. They call it sports entertainment. Yep. And most of the time, if you listen to Vince McMahon talk, it's just entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, um, I think one of the biggest differences, well, one of the things that I noticed, and this is definitely a sign of its times, remember in the 80s, however, you, whenever you had a wrestler who was billed as being from Russia, they were almost always the bad guy. Oh, yeah, well. Or, or, or from the Middle East. Exactly. Yeah. And because um, the, you know, and that was just kind of the sign of the times with, of course, the Cold War and then, you know, the conflict that was going on between Iran and Iraq back then. Yeah, and so that's one of the things. Like, yeah, the Nikolai Volkov. Um, there was another one in the AWA. Um, I cannot remember his name, but I think it was Nikita. Well, Nikita. Nikita Kol- Kol- yeah, I I don't remember, but like I said, there's Nikita Koloff. He uh, he, I believe he was yeah. AWA, and he also did a short stint in WWF. Yeah, and um, I think that. You know, of course, a lot of these guys, even though if they were billed from Russia, they, you know, they weren't actually from there. Like, I believe uh, Nikolai Volkov was actually from, like, Czechoslovakia. And I I know the guy who did uh, Nikita Koloff, I believe he was actually from, um, he was actually from the U.S., I think. But, you know, and like I said, it's just because that's just where they were billed as being from. And And it's part of their background stories, too. I mean... 
like how many different places has the Undertaker been from? He's been from Death Valley. He's Parts been from, unknown. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it just really depends on what their background story is for the time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and then I mean, one of the biggest ones in regards to the foreign ones, I just remember the Iron Sheik. Yeah. And then if I'm sure you guys probably remember when Sergeant Slaughter turned. Oh God, yes. Yep. That, made, that was such a sad day for me. When he came out with with the whole uh, Iraqi. Yep, with yeah. Iraqi. Again, the, the headgear, I'm not sure what the official term is. Yeah, or something. Or... Yeah, but it, yeah. that was just like, that was a jaw dropper. It's just like, wait, what? No. Yeah, because he was that, I know he was supposed to be one, and this is another thing we saw a lot of in the in the 80s. You had a lot of these super patriot characters like Sergeant Slaughter. Hulk Hogan played that you know role. And Again, Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog. So yeah, again, because it, it, it was kind of taking that whole Cold War and putting it into a, I guess you could say like an entertainment uh, form. So, but I think when we moved from the 80s to the 90s, there was a lot less of an attempt to, they weren't, they were less shy about the whole kayfabe, you know, where it's like, okay, they're, they didn't come out and say that, okay, yeah, they're not really trying to hurt each other. Yes, things are scripted, but um, I think they weren't denying it as much. Yeah, I mean, they they started being able to do things that they were never able to do before. Uh, and and to, to highlight this, I was at a WWE show in Minneapolis. And Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero, they were feuding with, I want to say, maybe Edge and Christian at the time. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And the the person I went to the show with, we're sitting in Perkins afterwards. You know, we got out and we decided to go grab something to eat. And in walks Eddie and Chavo and <laughs> Christian. Edge wasn't there. but So I met Eddie and I met Chavo and I met Christian sitting at freaking Perkins. Yeah. And one of the things that really, going back further... Um, when Hack saw Jim Duggan, he was another one of those guys that was doing kind of the whole, you know, really super patriot type role. He okay. was busted with drugs in a car with Nick with uh, Iron Sheik, who was he? I, he was one of those people that he was feuding against. Right. So I know that's another one, and I know there was another. There was a team, the Samoans, and yeah. I know they got. I think it may have they've may have actually been in the car with Hulk Hogan, but they were in a car with another one of the a more well known wrestlers, and they got I guess whoever was was driving was intoxicated, so they get pulled over for drunk driving, and the Samoans didn't actually didn't break character, and they were you know they still you know feigned like they couldn't speak English. <laughs> Smart. So, yeah, and I think because one of the things that stands out for me in the 90s is when the WWF went to their whole attitude era where, you know, because back in the 80s, it was very clearly defined good, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. You had your baby faces, you had your heels, and there weren't many characters that really filled in that gray area where in the 90s, that's where like Stone Cold Steve Austin And, you know, he, again, perfect example where, you know, I guess technically he was a, well, he was a fan favorite, but he didn't act like a fan favorite of the 80s would do because he'd break the, you know, break rules when he could and, you know, was always talking tough and being kind of a jerk in the ring. 
drinking beer, throwing fingers. And, and yeah, he was just, it, it was just a, um, well, it was part of the attitude area and he embodied it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean? absolutely. It, he absolutely embodied it as well as just being, I mean, there's really no other way to put it. Yeah, he, he was him, uh, DX, and a few other guys. Um, Kurt Angle at certain times really embodied the Attitude Era. Yeah, wasn't he? Uh, oh, go ahead. But, you know, I mean, that's that's what the Attitude was about. I mean, I remember tuning in one night to WWE. Sorry, the Acolytes. That was another one. I oh, said. the Acolytes, yep. The, or the APA. Yep. Acolyte Protection uh, Agency. Oh, yeah. But- when you say so anyway, that, oh, go ahead. I, I tune in one night and I'm watching WWE or WWE. I don't know what it was. It was F. Yeah, till 2001 or something. Right. So I'm watching WWF and Vince McMahon and Shane O'Mac and um, uh, Triple H. You know the 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 authority figures were all out on the out out. On the or not, not Triple H because he'd have been part of DX at the time. But all the authority figures are standing out on the uh, the entryway, and DX is in the in the uh, in the ring, and they open up this thing and they get covered in like well, what was supposedly like liquid poop, you know, and they're falling down in it and all this stuff. And I mean, obviously, it it most likely I'm going to say wasn't poop. But that's how they sold it. You know, the guys on commentary like, oh, can you smell that? You know, and and that's what the Attitude Era was about. It was about taking authority and just giving it the finger. And it was just opportunistic. It was just like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want for me because that's what I enjoy doing. Period. Yeah. And a lot of pushing the line because, I, I mean, wasn't there wasn't there something where like they were implying that I think it was Edge and whoever his in-ring girlfriend was at the time, you know, we're supposedly make you know, having sex underneath a sheet. Edge and Lita live sex celebration show. Yeah. And so again, I could not picture that stuff happening in the eighties where, Oh God, you know, no. Yeah. Cause in the eighties, it almost seemed like they were trying to take, cause I guess before the eighties, you know, wrestling was popular in like the carnivals and side shows. So it had court more of that kind of seedy underground, County fair type. Yes. Uh, county fair type where, or sometimes it did have kind of that seedy thing where you could kind of see a, like a smoke filled arena where, cause you know, they allowed smoking indoors back then. Right. You, know, you could imagine a couple of guys in tights pummeling away at each other and in a smoke filled arena where the eighties, we really saw it come to the more mainstream and it was tried to be pitched as more family friendly. And then, you know, yeah, then the Attitude Era, and it's like, ah, screw that. We're just going to see what we can get away with. So to me, like, the 80s wrestling was kind of like action figure wrestling. It's like yeah. it's it's out to sell action figures. Whereas the 90s gets here, and it's like, you know what? We're going to turn into Vegas wrestling. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, and now they've kind of brought it back in, and they're kind of going back to that, you know, they're, they're in what they call a PG era. Well, now it's, I suppose, technically the new era. But right following the Attitude Era was the PG area. Era and that started because they stopped selling action figures because all these family friendly places, Walmart, Target, they all said, "Hey, we're not carrying that crap." And I think I think they also probably realize that as pro wrestling and a federation gets older, the fan base is going to get older. So 
well, you know, Hulk Hogan is this real American, this super patriot, and, you know, these over-the-top colorful characters, well, that may have sold to these people who were, you know, like our age, you know, where they were like, you know, 10, 8, 10 years old in the 80s, you know, fast forward, and now they're teenagers and young adults and college students in the 90s, they're not going to go for that. And Hogan's still telling us to say our prayers and take our vitamins. Oh, yeah, and that's that's definitely one of the things. He's not doing the whole... Uh, and didn't they almost try to picture Kurt Angle when he first came in? Is that kind of like a new Hulk Hogan where... Cause yeah, I think they, they wanted to. They but, attempted it. But then everybody <laughs> thought he was a dork. <laughs> yeah, because I remember he's always like talked about the three eyes, like intelligence, integrity, and intelligence. Believe, you know, so, yeah, it, it, that's what I, my impression yeah, was, I is think- that... He was trying to be this like new Hulk Hogan type figure where, you know, this all American because he was, a you know, an Olympic wrestling champion. But the problem was that came during the Attitude Era and people didn't want another new American hero. They didn't want somebody who was all like Boy Scout. They wanted Stone Cold. Yep, yeah, exactly. they wanted another Stone Cold. And Angle on his best day couldn't pull off a Stone Cold. I mean, he was for a while. I mean, I think it was after he shaved his head when he was breaking ankles. Yeah. He was kind of bad. I mean, worse than John Cena, but not nearly as bad as he needed to be. Right. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned, and these topics are really kind of related, the Monday Night Wars and then the NWO, which was NWA's New World Order, versus Degeneration X, DX, where, again, since they were... It's like the NWO and DX were kind of like the surrogate for the war between the two, you know, the two major federations. Well, I mean, DX did invade WCW. That is true. Yeah. Because remember, around this time, this is where we would see, well, it was present to some degree in the 80s where they would have the little skits. Like, remember Piper's Pit and um, the Snake Pit with Jake the Snake and Brother Love where they had the little talk show segments. But oh, I, I, I love you. I love you. Do you have love? Yes, brother love. <laughs> um, and the funeral parlor. Yeah, funeral parlor. Because uh, Paul yeah. Bearer and, uh, and Undertaker had their segment. And those little, those little vignettes were fun, though. I mean, because they'd always have like the little sort of half interview things where basically it wasn't really an interview. It you was know- basically... You know what was going to happen, and it was essentially a wrestler came out and someone was going to get attacked. You know, I spent years after watching Piper's Pit and watching him break a coconut on Jimmy Snooker's head, waiting for him to pull out more coconuts. I'll tell you what, there's plenty that I would have loved to see him throw coconuts on. Well, but anyways, so where do you stand in the Monday in the Monday Night Wars with NWO versus DX? So. We'll start with you, Chad. Were you more WW? Were you more dub? Were you more NWO or more DX? I was more NWO. Okay. And I will tell you. I, I mean, as a as a student of the history of wrestling as a whole, DX did a lot of good stuff. I thought DX did. A, I mean, they cut promos like nobody. But the thing that NWO did, the thing that NWO did, without people questioning it is making Hogan a heel. Nobody saw that coming. And when he made that heel turn, I sat in my living room and went, Hogan? You know, because all of us, Lou, Al, we grew up, Hogan was, take your vitamins, say your prayers, 
you know, go to bed, get your rest, you know, exercise, all this stuff. And now he's just evil. I mean, he didn't make like a, he didn't make a John Cena heel turn. He made a full out Hogan is dead. I am Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yep. And to me, the, the, the ability for him to do that and convince me, even though by that time in history, I knew wrestling wasn't. It was uh, scripted. Was scripted. I, it was just like, I never saw that coming. I never saw that heel turn coming. When he ran into Bash at the beach to save Hall and Nash in the New World Order, I went, what? You what know what I mean? The f- and they did it so convincingly, and then NWO just bloated. And once it bloated, it, it died, in my opinion. But up until that point where they started taking so many new members that everybody was NWO, I mean, it got so bad they split them because there was just too many people in that stable. But up until that point, oh, man, I I I lived and breathed NWO. I thought it was amazing. So that's my take. You know, and honestly, during the Monday Night Wars, I wasn't much really watching the wars themselves. I mean, obviously, I kept up on it a bit. I was still more of a WWF guy. So, like, the stuff that DX did, even though I thought DX annoyed me a lot, I'll be honest, but what they did was funny. The fact that they really didn't pull any punches on it and they were entertaining. I mean, it's just someone being a total, you know, smart acre about it. They could, you know, and, like, when... um uh, what was it when Triple H and I think um, was Shawn Michaels and initially I believe or they yeah it was it was it was it was Triple H and Michaels right they would just basically mock everything they yeah. would they would dress up as NWO characters and just laugh at them and this I thought was hilarious it just they were able to do their own thing and poke fun at the WCW at one time and if memory serves I think the invasion episode was like one of the highest rated ones if not still today one of the highest viewed episodes ever and it just blew up the nielsen boxes because it was such a fun thing and i will agree with what you had said before chad that they did kind of add too much with the nwo which is part of the reason i didn't really care for them too is because it's like oh it's another scary group that's just trying to be their own thing whereas instead of being like just this anti-establishment whatever they were anti uh, dx was anti-establishment and fun and they had, you know, later on they brought in China Road Dog and um, X Pac, and yeah. X Billy Gun, Billy Gun, um, and but I mean X Pac was just a rabid little Chihuahua. I mean he really was. He really was. Sean Waltman, the, the guy who plays the character, still to this day. I mean, if you watch him wrestle on the Independence, he he's exactly the same. Well, he was what the one two three kid I think before, and then yes, him yeah. and China were an item if I remember correctly. Well, I think China was an item with everybody, but. Well, that's that's a whole different topic for a different podcast. <laughs> but I, you know, and I agree with you both, and I, I was definitely more on the DX side because my problem with NWO, it's like, okay, we're going to cheat to win our matches, and we're going to steal all the belts, and we're going to make you hate us. NW, or DX was more like, we're going to cheat to win our matches, and we're going to, you know, steal all the belts, only we're going to make you laugh and you're going to love us. So that that's where I stand on the whole between the two, just because DX was funny and you never really knew what they were going to do. Whereas with NWO, it just got so predictable 
especially after they brought in everyone and his brother. Um, Because I remember, you know, it was always like, okay, Hulk Hogan's about to lose the match, and oh no, here comes X-Pac running up on the the ring and distracting the referee, and, you know, meanwhile, the other 37 members of the NWO jump the opponent from behind, and the ref doesn't notice it. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was, but both of them were kind of... That's kind of what I was saying is it was really good until it got bloated. Yeah. You know, um, and then and the thing that ruined NWO for me in the end was when all of a sudden you realize who's the master behind it all. Uh, Eric Bischoff. Yeah. It's like, what? You're supposed to be the like the general manager. You're the guy who runs the thing. It that That whole angle to me just was like. You know, you just kind of look like a dog that's confused. Kind of, you know, you tilt your head to your side and you're like, huh? To me, that that, that kind of ruined it for me. Yeah, and yeah, and for me, it's just when it got to the point where, like I said, everyone and his brother was now either NWO or they had the NWO wolf pack. It, it just wasn't, it was so predictable. It just wasn't fun anymore. It was annoying, but DX, they always kept you guessing because, again, they were definitely part of that attitude era where it's always push the envelope. Let's see how much we can get away with. And I remember they had one where they were doing kind of like a presidential announcement where they had like, you know, um, Shawn Michaels and uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H and and China and uh, my favorite part of that one, Shawn Michaels was like, I did not. I repeat. I did not sleep with that young intern. As a matter of fact, I was up all night because, you know, of course, parodying <laughs> what was going on with Bill Clinton. But right. So, yeah, I and I, I so definitely DX got my vote in the Monday Night Wars. You know, though, you know what NWO also did besides the fact I mean, when when it was small and it was and it was good. And even to the end, what they really did was get a lot of guys TV time. Um, you know, Sting is as big as Sting was in the bleach blonde hair and, and the colorful makeup. The Crow Sting, as I like to call him, because that was a blatant steal yeah. of the, the Crow movie. The Crow Sting, I mean, for a year he never said a word, and he was the most sought after wrestler that people wanted to see in the ring. And then when he went Wolfpack, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of lame, but I get it. Um, but it just, you know, I just thought the NWO helped other wrestlers that weren't necessarily part of the storyline, or even if they were, because it gave the sympathetic vote to that person that's getting screwed over by the NWO. You know, you did mention something that I just wanted to, that I kind of thought about just now, too. You mentioned the whole silent thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the 90s, you had a lot of that, too. Or, I'm sorry, the 80s, you had a lot of that, too, where you'd have, like, like Taker, for example. He was largely silent. He really wouldn't say much. You, you might get the rest in peace or something to that effect. Um, you know, but then, of course, you'd get some of the louder mouth ones, you know, Roddy Piper and so on and so forth. Um, but now it just seems that's part of one of the things that I think the Attitude Era got set apart also was the fact that everyone talks. I mean, unless they are meant to be a silent character like... Uh, 
Uh, what what was the the little guy uh, Tajiri? Tajiri? Oh, Tajiri! Right, he was largely silent because he supposedly didn't speak any English. Right, fine. But nowadays, and even starting in the two thousands, everybody had to talk. And I don't know if that's a contract thing or whatever, but I think that's it was good. But I think that also kind of led to a bit of a downfall too, in my opinion. Well, I think the talking thing is kind of a you don't get a following if you don't talk, really. Nowadays, yeah. But well, you didn't I, have, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, in the 80s, you really didn't have to. I mean, if you had the skill, and you you could just throw a couple things out there. I mean, Hulk Hogan could say one line at the end of the and at the end of his match, and he was still just Hulkamania's running wild, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, you get like Yokozuna a little bit later on, really didn't say much of anything, and just because of his actions, he had followers. Mm-hmm. So. Nowadays, I mean, the, the paradigm has shifted where they have to talk if you want to sell the merchandise, if you want to get the followers. It's just not how it used to be. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that, again, it's all the whole character development where, well, I don't know, I guess the whole speaking, non-speaking can really play a part in it because, you know, as you mentioned before, where you had the silence thing um, that, you know, that gave a bit more to his personality than when he was the... Didn't he have some, like, thing that he did when he, no, that was Ric Flair. Because, of course, Ric Flair was, uh, you know, woo, and, you know, gonna ride Space well, Mountain. Sting in the early days, Sting used to do a woo as well. Yeah. Um, but, and, and it was basically the same thing. So when he became the Crow Sting, it kind of went away because Ric Flair was in WCW at that time. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't really do his, you know, his his call out or whatever you want to call it, his 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 shout trademark. So it kind of went away. But so moving on, uh, we've talked to here and there about different wrestlers. Uh, who are some of your favorite wrestlers that, uh, in in any federation? Lou, go ahead. All right. Um, well, and I have to say, and this is probably going back from I'm going to start probably oldest to newest. Um, Back in the day, of course, everybody liked Hulk Hogan. I thought Hulk was okay, but of course, Captain Lou Albano was one of my favorites, even though he's more of a more of a manager than a wrestler. Um, JYD was good, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan were just some of my favorites because they were just seemed like everyday guys, you know, just like some some big old dude threw on a, a chain belt and went in the ring and just beat the crap out of somebody, <laughs> and that was fun. I mean, and that's really how it was. Taker because of the scary stuff. I mean, I was a kid. That supernatural stuff, he holds up the urn, and all of a sudden he just gets the tar pounded out of him, and he just sits up like nothing happened. It's like you get the goosebumps in your arm, like, holy God, he's, he's in for it now. You know, and so I liked Taker as a kid. You know, getting a little bit older, I was one of the few that really didn't care for Steve Austin. He was okay, but I thought he was just a little bit much. Um, Edge, I really enjoyed. I still, to this day, I still follow him on Twitter. I think he's actually just an amazing, you know, he was an amazing wrestler, and he's a great human. And my all-time favorite still has to be Mankind. Mick Foley, uh, Mankind, Dude Love, um, Cactus Jack. So Mick Mick Foley, not an individual character. Mankind is still favorite, but close followed by all of his iterations. Um, I've always enjoyed what he did, and I'm sorry, but the the Hell in a Cell with Taker is a thing of legend. You can't talk about best matches. Without that being at least top three, absolutely, yeah. And, and wasn't another one of the other ones when you're talking about legendary matches? Uh, was it Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall? Didn't they have like a legendary ladder match? Mm-hmm. WrestleMania uh, nineteen, eighteen, nineteen, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, Chad, what are some of your who are some of your favorite wrestlers? 
Oh, all right. Let's go. Let's go back in time. I'm I'm kind of a weird guy. My favorite as a kid. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us something we don't know. Just kidding. All right. So uh, my favorite as a kid was actually Bob Backlund. Okay. Um, I just like the fact that he was this short, stubby guy that could, you know, if he got you in the chicken wing face lock thing, it was just like you were done. You know, yep. stick a fork in him. He's done. Just, yeah, just a good, a straight up brawler. Yeah, he was just a straight up brawler. Um, let's see, you go from there. I mean, I was I was a mark for Hogan for a long time as a kid. Um, I like Taker. My my absolute favorite. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Lou this one too. My absolute favorite wrestler of all time is Sting. Now I catch a lot of flack for that because Sting. I mean, he was signed to the WWE. He wrestled, I think, two matches, hurt his back. He's officially retired now. But it was like Sting was always one of my favorites. I I liked him when he was the crew cut, you know, bleach blonde hair kid from Venice Beach. And I really enjoyed the years of the Crow Sting. That's And that's what I'm most familiar with. The older stuff I might have caught, but the more modern, the Crow is kind of where – that's where his notoriety is, him and the Black Bat. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I like the small guys. I like guys like Billy Kidman, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio Jr. But the one big guy that I really liked was Hugh Morris. And I don't know if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. Hugh Morris. Uh, He was a big dude. He was probably 350 pounds. And he would do a, a, a shooting star press off the top turnbuckle. He was just amazingly agile for a big guy. Um, you know, and then, you know, it goes through takers always going to be up there. Um, I'm a big, I was a big JBL fan, uh, more in his acolyte days, uh, with Ron Simmons. Um, but you know, there, there's just so many wrestlers, uh, Steven Regal, Fit Finley. These are getting old again. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page, um, Honky Tonk Man. I love that guy. Um, Jerry the King Lawler, though he never really wrestled a whole lot in WWE, he was, you know, um, as a commentator, he's fantastic, uh, or was until he pulled a gun on his wife and they fired him. But, you know, it's just, it's just, there's, there's so many out there. I, I, I don't know, but I think, like I said, my all time favorite was Sting. Do you have an all time favorite, like one guy that it would be mankind? Would be mankind? Yep. Now, what about, and I'm, I'm sorry, Al, you can answer these questions too, but what I about- I can, it's my show, I can answer questions? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I just wanted to get into tag teams too, because tag yep. teams, I'm a big tag team fan, I don't know, are you? Um, Depends on the tag team. Okay. So, my favorite tag team of all time, and this one's really off the wall, but Demolition. They were, the, they were the poor man's uh, Legion of Doom. Uh, but they were the WWE or WWF tag team title holders for almost 500 days, which is the longest in, in history, uh, regardless of what the New Day says now. Uh, but uh, so tag teams? Tag teams. I mean, if we go older tag teams, I'm sorry. I loved the Bushwhackers. I thought they were hilarious. They were just fun to watch. And, they were. I mean, and just like a bunch of Outback dudes that just walked around and 
just they had that distinctive through. march with their swinging their arms. Exactly. It, you know, it was just so fun to watch them. Now, as far as like more recent ones, I mean, um, the Dudley Boys was always fun to watch. I remember the first TLC match that they got into, which was just holy god, they just broke a table. Yeah, um, you know, and the Hardy Boys were nice high flyers, but I really didn't get too much into them. Edge and Christian again because I really enjoyed Edge. I liked it when they did the for those with the benefit of the flash photography when they don't use the five second poses. Later on, when they got like kind of snooty per se, right? Didn't care for it so much, but just the lighthearted, goofy stuff and too cool. I enjoyed too cool because they were just fun. Oh yeah, Rikishi yeah. and Scotty Too Hotty. Oh, Scotty Too Hotty, Rikishi, and there was a third one. Oh, uh, uh, Master. Uh, Grandmaster Sexay. Grandmaster Sexay. And one of them was Jerry Lawler's son. Yeah, Grandmaster Sexay. Yep. Yep. And that was, I remember watching more so before they brought Rikishi in, and then they just brought Rikishi in to watch him jiggle. Right. And then Grandmaster Sexay disappeared, and it was Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati. Right. So how about you, Al, now that we've uh, hijacked your podcast? (laughs) Well, thank you. I don't mind if I do. Well, when you talk about tag teams, the British Bulldogs... Uh, the Midnight Rockers, always loved them. Um, I'd have to say the Road Warriors, you know, because they were just really badass. And as far as individual wrestlers, I really liked Steve Blackman because I was really into the martial arts back then. And, okay. You know, so, I mean, he had that martial arts gimmick, so that, that won me over. Uh, I liked Ken Shamrock. Yes, I was a, a, I was a mark for Hulk Hogan back in the days of the, you know, each – Never give up and, you know, eat your prayer, you know, eat your prayers, you know, eat your vegetables and say your prayers. And, you know, so you had to love the 80s Hulk Hogan, um, which is what I think made it more shocking when he did do that, that heel turn at Bash at the Beach. And then I also liked a lot of the luchadors, you know, Juventud Guerrero, uh, Rey Mysterio Jr., Eddie Guerrero, because, you know, you really got to admire their the athleticism in, that they put in some of those moves that they do. Um, so those are some of my favorites. And uh, we went a little bit longer than I thought we were going to. So just one last question before we close it out. Uh, if Are there any feuds or matches that were particularly memorable that still stay with you to this day? Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy in the steel match, in the steel cage. Steel cage, okay. Still one of my favorite all-time matches. Um yeah, I think I think if it comes down to matches, that's that's one of them um, that really sticks in my head. I saw the match where Sid Vicious snapped his leg. I was at that live wrestling. That was fun. That happened in Minneapolis. But I wouldn't say it's memorable for the match. The match itself was pretty lame. But but yeah, I don't know, Lou. As far as matches, um, I mean, obviously, I've got the stand the classics as I mentioned before, the Hell in a Cell with Mankind and. Um, and Undertaker, um, the any anything. I'm sorry, but Undertaker choke slamming anybody through the mat is just entertainment in my book. <laughs> um, but as far as honestly, I think it's for me, it's more stories than it is individual matches. Like the who ran over Stone Cold, I enjoyed that because they went everywhere with it. And I'm sorry, but the answers were Kishi. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas it, we didn't really mention it much, but like The Rock cut some of the best promos oh, ever. Absolutely. I mean, that dude was a master behind the microphone. Like, let me tell you in Spanish, no run over Steve-O with my caro. You know, and just in some of the stuff that he did, and it's just that they get away with, 
was amazing. And then like the rock and sock connection stuff that they had. Um, and I guess, so it's more so me for the stories than the individual matches, but that, you know, that's just me. What about yeah. you, Al? Okay. Well, there's a couple feuds that really stick out for me. Uh, both of them were AWA and I had a chance to see these matches back when I was in, you know, when my family went to the AWA live shows, one of them was something that they would never do today. It was a feud between Jimmy Snuka and Colonel De Beers, where Colonel De Beers was this South African apartheidist. So there was a racism angle in that, where he would often, you know, refuse to wrestle Jimmy Snuka, or he was always talking about him being inferior to him. And I remember that there was a match when they were in Milwaukee. We had fourth row seats. And I remember my sister made this huge sign that said, go home, private De Beers. Superfly is number one. And, you know, he would walk into the ring twirling his mustache. And he came across and he saw it. And just the look on his face. And then, like, all through the match, you know, the guys around us were all chanting, you know, private, private. And he, <laughs> he really worked with us on that. So that was awesome. But as far as a feud... Kurt Hennig versus Nick Bockwinkel for the AWA World Championship. And the reason it sticks out for me, it was really well scripted because first you had Nick Bockwinkel, you know, the seasoned pro, the old champion, and you had Kurt Hennig, who at the time was this up-and-coming young superstar. But, you know, both of them were good guy wrestlers. Both of them also had reputations for being very technical, and they had this long, drawn-out series of, uh, you know, went on for a few months where they, you know, Nick Bockwinkel was the champion, and they would have these really close matches where it would always go to the time limit. And usually they ended it with, like, one of them had the other in a submission hold, and there was 30 seconds left in the match. And it's like, okay, will, you know, will Nick Bockwinkel be able to withstand this figure-four leg lock for the next 30 seconds? And... And, and like I said, they were really good matches. And it ended with Kurt Hennig turning heel and using a foreign object given to him by Larry Zabisco to knock Nick Bockwinkel out cold. So that's what really kind of, yeah, that's why it was so memorable is because you had these two good guys, both of them very technical, fair play wrestlers, and then you know, Kurt Hennig ends up winning by cheating. <laughs> yeah, but Mr. Perfect, or Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect was one of the best heels that of all true. times, in in my opinion. Yes, and I remember the little vignettes he did where, like, they showed one where he was bowling a perfect game of... Uh, I'm just thinking that, actually. <laughs> or, like, three three arrows he just got, like, right in the same spot, like, all Robin Hood style, and... yeah. So yeah, those those were two feuds that really stood out for me, and um, and again, I think it's because when I talk about the AW, I really kind of look at it with uh, the nostalgia glasses on. <laughs> You're kidding? No, but well, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. So Chad, Lou, I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today. And thank you. thanks for having. You're welcome. And if you'd like to not only catch my podcast but also Chad's podcast, whose podcast is it anyway? Go to poigamestudio.podbean.com, and you can also check out the podcast on iTunes as well. And while you're at it, hey, feel free to stop by the Point of Insanity Facebook page, 
like the page and got any comments, feel free to leave them. So thanks for joining and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. And well, we didn't really talk about gaming today, but always good gaming. Yes. Always have good gaming and good night, everybody.